of our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive, courtesy of your grace and your mercy. Help us not take this day for granted. Uh, we thank you for the privilege of coming together like this as your children, as your bond slaves, and as your adopted ones. We're grateful just to be part of your plan, to receive the gift of salvation, the gospel of peace. Father, help us uh, never be familiar with these simple things and the truth that sets us free. Father, most of all, we're grateful and thankful that you sent your Son once for all to die for our sins on that cross 2,000 years ago so that our debt can be completely paid. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, and your kindness. We ask that your Spirit right now, Father, guide us into your Word. Help us understand supernatural things. Give us the right perspective, your perspective so that we can live a supernatural life and bring you tremendous glory. We ask these things in the name of our precious Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Okay, are you ready? Part two. So, I was thinking as, you know, Sunday's message came across, and this is an interesting topic, an interesting perspective to think about, but there's an interesting, strange thing about our old natures that we have, that we have to hold on to until we die out of this body. And that is the fact that sometimes we willingly stay in deception. I mean, why would anyone willingly stay in deception? If you know it's, let's say, let's say God reveals something to you, and now you see something is wrong maybe in your life. And yet, in our old natures, we willingly stay in something that we know is wrong. It's crazy. And a lot of these things are very subtle. A lot of these things aren't um, necessarily overt lifestyles against the Lord, but they're, they're little things that God shows you that maybe you're off on, maybe you're not thinking properly, maybe your priorities are off. So anyway, it's just, just a strange thing. I was thinking about our old natures. Why cling to something that we know is bad for us, for example? Sometimes we aren't ready to leave certain things behind for whatever reason, even when we know they're not God's will for us. What's wonderful and amazing is that God knows all this. He knows us so well. Each and every one of us listening right now, we're all so different. Even though we're so much the same, we're all so different. And He knows our idiosyncrasies, our thoughts, our deceiving thoughts, our rationalizations. He knows all these things, and He's so gracious towards us as we grow and are sanctified closer and closer to His will. How gracious God is to, to you should amaze you. How patient He is with you should amaze you. And I was actually thinking about a father-son relationship on earth that, you know, God gives us these family relationships for a reason. And you think about how an earthly father... Maybe as a young boy that he's trying to train up, train up the right way. The father knows when the son's not ready for something yet. Doesn't he? I mean, and he's not even perfect, obviously. But he kind of knows when his five-year-old isn't ready for a test or uh, whatever, to be left alone in something yet. He knows. So what does the father do? He's patient. He waits because he loves his child so much. And he waits. It's not the right time yet. You're not ready yet. You couldn't understand this yet if I told you. We'll get into that a little bit more, but just think about the simplicity and purity of that relationship and that that's how God looks at us. He's so gracious towards us. So whether it's our arrogance holding on to something ungodly, join the crowd, or we're naive or ignorant to something being ungodly, or we just aren't ready to see or handle something God has for us. Sometimes we stay in deception. But the message of the Spirit has been, all right, so even though this is true, the message of the Spirit has been, do not be deceived. 
do not be deceived. Don't allow yourself to be, don't be naive. Look out for the things that Satan might have in your life that appear to be good or appear to be kind, um, appear to be harmless. Keep on the lookout for those things because that's the place of slavery and lies that Satan wants us to be in. That's his sphere, so to speak. He wants us to stay in that sphere of slavery, lies, fear. We talked about fear last week, one of Satan's great weapons. He'd love it if we just stay there and fear and doubt. And all lies ultimately come from Satan in the kingdom of darkness, so we need to be shown them by the grace of God. So on the board, this has kind of been our main uh, point the last week on satanic deception. We must always remember that Satan is a master of deception, way smarter than you or I. The most effective deceptions are the least obvious. Only the Word of God is able to shine light on them to reveal their insidiousness. Kind of like the analogy last week that came out with a lion crouching in the tall grass, only 10 feet from its prey, and the prey doesn't even know. We need the Word of God to shine that floodlight on that deception that's right underneath our nose many times. And we saw in 1 John 3, 7, little children, make sure no one deceives you. So think about it this way. There's a constant attack on our souls in this world. There's a never-ending, constant attack on our souls in this world. Now, we don't always see it. We don't even think it's happening sometimes. Everything's going good with like, la, 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 you know. Everything's going good right now. No major problems in my life. So what do we do? We drop our guard. We're like, I, I got nothing to worry about. There's no deceptions here. I, I, I see it all. And that puffed-up arrogance can't see three deceptions right under its nose. So never forget that there are constant attacks on our souls in this world. It's a spiritual battle. Trying to get us deceived and away from the purity of God's plan for our lives. Again, the purity of God's plan for our lives. It's pure, it's simple, it's good. If we're humble, if we're aware of this constant attack and we obey the verse on the board, make sure no one deceives you. As came up on Sunday, why would someone reject the truth when given it? Don't we all want to be set free? At least we say, yes, we want to be set free. But then when we're hit with something that makes us a little bit uncomfortable, well, honestly, it's easy to say no. And to not have to change. It's easier to put it off. Turn a blind eye. To get into denial mode. I don't really have a problem in that area. Isn't it? <laughs> a whole lot easier. When we get uncomfortable to do that thing. And yet God's trying to set us free. So the sooner we surrender. When shown the truth. Whatever truth it is. Whatever area in our life it is. The sooner we surrender from the heart towards that thing and say, okay, Lord, this hurts. You know, maybe I don't want to give this up or I don't want to not associate with this person or whatever. This hurts, but I'm going to surrender. I'm going to, I'm, I, I give. I know this is right. I know this is what you want. And it's only then that you'll start to be set free by that acceptance. And what's God leading us to? He's like, he's like streamlining our life. He's leading us to like a simple, pure life, more and more streamlined. And the more simple we get, the more peace we have. If we want his peace and not, you know, our own fabrication of it. But we do remain imperfect in the flesh, stubborn at times, and not ready or willing to hear the truth at times. So on the board, regarding being ready, some people will reject truth the first time they hear it because they aren't ready for it yet. To be accurate, God isn't willing to give them understanding yet. Luke 9, 43 through 45 we saw, and Luke 24, 44 through 53. God isn't willing to give them understanding yet. 
individual readiness is a function of God's timing. Something to really ponder. If someone's not ready yet, um, and that could mean different things to different people, if someone can't handle something in their souls yet, God knows it. Your father that loves you knows it. And therefore, he isn't willing for you to understand something yet, possibly. Maybe that's an extension of his grace and mercy and patience. Who would have thought? What is that? <laughs> that's a distraction. Don't be deceived. Um, but God knows it. God knows when we're not ready. And in his loving care as a father, he's like, okay, I'm not even going to push this with you right now. There's, there's a time coming that's going to be a better time for you. Think about it this way. Maybe this is a different perspective. God doesn't want us to stumble either or to be so overwhelmed that we give up. And so he's patient with us knowing that the right time is coming. Looking back, I can think of many times throughout my life that I just wasn't ready to accept or handle something. And you know how sometimes you can see it on the horizon, you can kind of see it coming? And maybe someone's trying to tell you something, or maybe a pastor's trying to tell you something, or the Word keeps saying the same thing over and over to you, and you're like, I, I don't really see it, even though you do, right? So you're just not ready yet. Maybe it would crush your spirit in a way. I mean, from personal experience, I can say there were certain things I wasn't ready to bear. And God was so gentle and patient, even though sometimes I knew he was knocking. So I hope you can relate to some degree. And if not, you think about this and just like revel in the patience and the gentleness of God. Before we, we review the passages on the board, let's get a reminder of God's goodness and patience towards us and how he feeds us at the proper time. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 145, verse 8. Psalm 145, 8. So this passage, the Spirit chose to reveal and remind us of God's goodness and patience towards us and how he, quote-unquote, feeds us at the proper time. Psalm 145, 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power, to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. Now, don't th just think of physical food here. Think of spiritual food, too. You give them their food in due time. And notice it's in due time, which implies waiting and patience. As a father knows what's best for his child. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Notice he's also kind in all his deeds. This is a loving father. I was thinking of the passage in 1 Corinthians, right? Describing love, this long description of love. What are the first two? Love is patient, love is kind. I believe, I might make a mistake, but I think it's a patient and kind. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the expressions of God's love, just like a father would treat his son properly with wisdom, knowing the right timing, knowing what he can receive and when he's ready for certain things. 
So all we have to be concerned about is having the right heart before God. Continually calling on the Lord, as verse uh, 18 says, seeking truth. So again, we'll go back to heart issues. If you're honestly seeking truth, God is gentle with you. God is gracious. God is patient. Um, he's not going to give you more than you can bear, etc. He's looking for the right heart. Even though at times you stumble, even though at times you put things off and turn a blind eye on purpose, he's looking for your overall heart. Do you want me? Do, are you seeking the truth? He'll take care of the rest if that is what you focus on and humble yourself to be. So let's remember as we read these passages, God's kindness and wisdom and patience as we continue with this topic. Are you ready? So again, on the board, some people will reject truth the first time they hear it because they aren't ready for it yet. To be accurate, God isn't willing to give them understanding yet. Individual readiness is a function of God's timing. So turn again to Luke 9, 43. Luke 9, 43. And again, uh, you know, back to our series on the apostles. Why were the apostles so encouraging? Because they didn't get it half the time. And God still was patient with them and brought them along and promoted them at the proper time. They weren't ready, just like we're not ready. Luke 9, 43. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. But while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement. And it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. On the board, we saw this on Sunday regarding it being concealed to them. The sovereign God of the universe withheld divine viewpoint from Jesus' disciples for his own purposes and in accordance with his own desires. Again, God knows. It's really that simple. We trust that our Heavenly Father knows best. And on the board in Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, declares the Lord. The next verse says it's as high as the heavens are from the earth. That's how much greater his ways and thoughts are than ours. So do we trust, as a little child, do we trust that our Father knows best? And that when we're not ready, he's going to do the right thing for us. Whether it's discipline or whether it's patience and kindness. He's going to do the right thing for us. So we need to relax and keep the big picture in mind all the time. God is always in control and he has great reasons for us to wait at times. And, and a multitude of reasons for us to wait at times. And his wisdom, can you imagine how many, how many reasons he has for one thing in your life? how many different reasons he has for holding back one thing in your life? We have no idea. But in his perfect wisdom, it's perfect. One day maybe we'll see it in heaven and, you know, see his patient hand. But either way, he's always in control. He always has a plan. And he has great reasons for us to wait at times. So this also came up on Sunday on the board. Everything that happens under God's watch is by design, ordained by Him. Just something to really consider in your own life. Even the things that you don't like, God's got a design, a reason for it, a purpose for it, an overall big picture purpose for it. He turns curses into blessings. He uses things that seem evil or what man meant for evil, God turns to good. This is his plan. And it takes faith. It takes trusting him. So we can relax and fall back on him, our 
dear Heavenly Father that loves us so much. So a little perspective. If God wants something to happen or to be made apparent to us, he will do it. Right? Fair statement? If God wants something to happen or to be made apparent to us so that we see it, he will do it for us in our lives. If he knows we need more time, we should thank him for not revealing something to us yet. When's the last time you thanked him for not forcing you, it might not be the right word, but forcing you to go forward in a certain area when you weren't ready and you kind of knew that was where he wanted you to go and that's his plan for you and you're not ready yet and he didn't push you. When's the last time you thanked him for that? Part of his, his gentleness. So this means we must say, I don't fully understand, Lord, but I trust you. I might be perplexed, but I'm not despairing. That's the attitude of a believer. You remember that from 2 Corinthians chapter 4? We went there a few weeks ago. I might be perplexed, but I'm not despairing. I trust that you have a plan. I met a lady today um, during my work day who lost her daughter at a young age and is battling some major health issues all in the last year, all in the last 12 months. And you know what, though? She's like, I know he's got a plan. I trust him. And it was so encouraging to see in her because if I told you some of the things she told me, I mean, my jaw was dropping. I'm like, oh, I was felt for her and all that. But God has a master plan. And, you know, we talked about how the angels are, are watching and are blown away when we have faith when we've never seen God, when we still trust him when everything goes wrong. Tremendous glory to God in front of the angels. So we don't fully understand all the time, but that's when we're called to trust him even more. You might be perplexed, but you should not be despairing. Because you know he always has a plan. As came up last week, the believer always falls back on the fact that God has a plan. Always. Even when God conceals something from us, he has a good reason and a good plan for us. And then there are times when the time is right. In due time, as uh, Psalm 145 said, he opens our eyes to certain things like he did for the apostles. Go uh, again to Luke 24, verse 44. Luke 24, 44. In due time. It sounds like a wise old sage would say that to a young, impatient teenager, right? In due time, my son. But I want it now. You're not ready. <laughs> In due time. Well, again, here's the encouraging apostles. Luke 24, 44. Now Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So apparently this was the right timing, right? When was this? This was after the resurrection. They couldn't bear the information about his death and resurrection until after the resurrection. They couldn't comprehend it. God even concealed it from them. Maybe it would have crushed their spirit again. Who knows? But it was that, at this point that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So we come to a very simple solution in our souls, I hope, on the board. God, by grace, waits until we are ready to receive something. 
don't overlook the simplicity of this point. Instead, dwell on it. Enjoy it. God, by grace, waits until we're ready to receive something. Thank God. Dwell on His graciousness and patience and love that He has for you personally. Just think how patient He's been with you. Think of all the sins that He should have slammed you for in your past. Think of all the repercussions that didn't occur. God's got a plan. (laughs) He's gracious. Again, on the board, God, by grace, waits until we're ready to receive something. One example of this also is when Paul preached to a woman named Lydia. Uh, Turn in in your Bibles to Acts 16, 13. Acts 16, 13. Don't take God for granted, you know, with this point on the board. Stay humble. Acts 16, 13. So here Paul was preaching to a woman named Lydia who was apparently ready because the Lord opened her heart to receive the good news. It says, On the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So apparently Lydia was ready. And this is more of a gospel example. But then as believers, there are times when we aren't ready to bear something. So the Lord allows it to remain confusing to us for a time. Maybe perplexed, again, even though not despairing. Turn to Mark 9, verse 30. Mark 9, 30. And this is a similar passage to the one we saw earlier in Luke but just a little different perspective. Mark 9.30 From there they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement and they were afraid to ask him. Notice again, they were afraid to ask him. Why? Maybe they weren't ready yet. Have you ever not asked a question because you weren't ready to hear the answer? In all different parts of life. You kind of know the answer, but you can't bear it yet. And you know what? God still has a plan for us, even when we're not ready. He doesn't give up on us, just like the apostles. And then we had the other side of the coin come up on Sunday morning. Sometimes we arrogantly think we're ready for just about anything God has for us. Bring it on, Lord. I can handle it. I'll do anything for you. Well, hold your horses, son. I know you think you're ready. I love your heart, but you might not be ready. Here's a question. As we maybe even assume things that we're ready to do for God, do we want His will or our own will? That's kind of the zeal sometimes of a new believer. Sometimes a a new believer can be so zealous that he goes over the top and he doesn't necessarily do things according to the timing of God and the, the, the Word of God even in certain areas? Do you want your will or do you want His will for your life? Do you want to be like the hero? You know, I've got to go save the world and I'm going to you know, jump on my horse and ride around like Paul Revere and tell everybody the gospel. 
If that's God's plan for you, awesome. But is that your will or his will? Are you trying to, you know, again, be the hero or are you willing to submit to his will and what he says you're ready for? It takes a lot of prayer. You might want to step back and be humble and pray for his will and his timing. Um, being willing is a wonderful thing. But being brash is foolish. And I thought about Peter, who said to the Lord, I'm ready to go with you to death. I'll die with you. And then he denied him three times. Hours later. Apparently he wasn't ready for that, even though it looked like he had a good heart. So this came out on Sunday as something for us all to reflect on, on the board. If we find ourselves becoming boastful about ourselves and our so-called accomplishments in the spiritual life, we have just proven to ourselves that we are deceived. We are deceiving ourselves if we are becoming boastful about our progress in the spiritual life, the things we do for God, whatever, such as James 4.16. Turn again to James 4.16. If we find ourselves becoming boastful about ourselves and our so-called accomplishments in the spiritual life, we have just proven to ourselves we are deceived. Because arrogance is a place of deception. When you're arrogant, you're blind. When you're blind, you don't even know what's right in front of you. James 4.16, But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So instead, how about praying, Lord, give me my daily portion. I don't want any more than what you ordained to be good for me right now. In other words, I want your will for my life. Even though I think I'm ready in this area, I want you to open the doors. I want you to make it obvious. I want your stamp of approval. I don't want my will. I want your will. Give me your daily portion for me. Whatever, whatever I can handle, give me. Whatever I can't handle, don't give me. Please. And then God, you know, loves that humble child. He's able to guide him. Give him clarity. What also came out on Sunday is that we sometimes like to boast in ourselves because we're insecure. But God wants us to be secure in Him alone, not in ourselves, of course. But sometimes it happens. And we need to be honest with ourselves and admit when we're basing our security on ourselves or our own accomplishments. This is a very subtle thing here. I think everyone does this to some degree. Where we base our security on ourselves or our own accomplishments or certain attributes we have, like intelligence or good looks or rationalism or finances, et cetera, et cetera. We could go on and on and on. Whatever you have as a talent even, we can't base our security on that as though it's of ourselves and from ourselves. The flesh, funny thing about the flesh, can always find something good about self to take credit for, even though anything... And everything good about us comes from God. It's a gift. It all comes from Him, right? All good things come from the Father of lights above. In James 1. So how can we ever take credit for something we received as a gift? It's pretty stupid, right? If someone gave you a gift tomorrow, could you take credit for it like you accomplished it on your own? absolutely silly so <laughs> we need to remember how silly that is the next time we start to take credit for anything it's all by his grace turn again to 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 1 Corinthians 4 7 I love this verse how, how, how it's stated and um, 
you know, think of, think of a gift here, even though the word gift is not used. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, like a gift, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Silly. But we do it. We were given some good counsel by the Spirit, a good reminder on Sunday on the board in Proverbs 27.2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. You know what? When you need encouragement, God's going to let somebody come to you and quote-unquote praise you, maybe thank you for something you did or are doing. At the just the right time, you'll hear that maybe for your own encouragement. Maybe it's a bad day and perfect timing from God. But let another praise you, not your own lips. Otherwise, we fall into the trap of the devil, which was pride and arrogance, thinking more highly of himself than he ought to think. So don't give in to the temptation to boast about whatever you're doing for the Lord, because that's going to come. People might compliment you and you let it go to your head. Don't give in to that temptation. That might be a whisper from the kingdom of darkness when someone's throwing a bunch of accolades at you. Anything good you have is from God. You are a servant of the Most High God, and it is He who gives you the strength and faith to serve Him in the first place. Amen? Who are you that you can stand? Who are you that you can walk and see and hear? Why aren't you crippled? Why aren't you blind? Apparently, God saw fit that he wanted you to have these things for the purpose of serving him. On the board, boasting. If anyone should boast, it should be God over his grace in you. He doesn't need or want you boasting about yourself. The greatest boasting is when you attribute credit where credit is due. Go to 1 Corinthians 15.10. The greatest boasting is when you attribute credit to where credit is due. And where is it always due? To the good Lord above. First Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So apparently, even our hard work for the Lord, we mustn't take credit for in our souls. What did Paul say? He starts this verse out with the grace of God and ends this verse with the grace of God. In between is his labor. More than all of them. If anyone could have boasted, it was Paul. He legitimately labored harder than all the others. But what did he quickly say? But not I, it's the grace of God with me. Why do I even have the ability to labor like this? Who gave me this motivation? Who gave me the faith? So Paul, in his humility, properly boasted in the Lord instead of himself. On the board, a little more about boasting. Even the ability and motivation to labor for the Lord is a gift from God, period. To Him be all the glory and honor. We just saw that in 1 Corinthians 15.10. So, now back, back to our main point. If we're boasting in ourselves, even in our hearts, we're being deceived. We're deceiving ourselves. And so what I'm saying here is not just boasting to other people necessarily, out loud. But if you're boast, boastful in your own heart about what you're doing for the Lord, you are in deception. And we need to repent. The minute we become boastful, we become deceived into thinking we're something when we're nothing. Is there a greater deception? than to think you're actually something. 
when you're nothing compared to God? Go to uh, Romans 12.3. Romans 12.3. Here's another warning from Paul, reminding people of, of, of grace again. And really that anything good is from God's grace, anything good about us. Romans 12, 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. In other words, sound judgment says, I'm not as good as I think I am. Sound judgment is humble and says, I'm not going to fall for the, that trap of thinking more highly of myself than I ought to think. God has given me a certain amount of faith. I'm going to use it for his glory. Only when there is gratitude for God for our accomplishments are we in line with God's thinking. Only when there's gratitude to God for our accomplishments, whatever they are, anything good that we've done, gratitude's the key to stay humble. Otherwise, we fall into a deceptive trap like Satan himself fell into on the board. In Ezekiel 28, 17, your heart, Satan, was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. God did everything for him. God gave him the best of the best, and he perverted it. He twisted it. That's what sinful creatures do. God gives us a gift, we muck it up, and we pervert it and take credit for it, even though all we did was receive it. Our culture in America has trained us in falsehood to raise beauty up as something to be boastful about. This came up a lot on Sunday. Something to really think about because we've, been, we've, been all, we've all been brought up in the media age. I don't care how old you are. You were brought up with television to start. And we've all been brought up. It's so ingrained in our culture that beauty is something to be propped up as good and special and better than everyone else. How can anyone take credit for their beauty? In whatever way that they are beautiful, how can you take credit for that if it's a gift from God? How can you take credit for something you're born with? A certain skill, a certain talent. How can we take credit for gifts? And this came up on Sunday as a big reminder to us who are in the uh, media age. Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. What do we do? We fall for charm without any resistance, and we look at beauty like it's everything when it's vain, which means empty, which means fading away. No real substance even. What do we do? We've been so trained, so deceived, that charm and beauty, we're like, yeah, come on in. This is what life's all about. So, you know, for, for our own souls, take it to yourself. This is a plain statement in the Word of God. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. And if we really believe this, if we submitted to this truth in our hearts, we would be a lot less insecure and a lot more happy and at peace. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. I'm not going to fall for that again. And nobody's perfect. I'll probably fall for that again tomorrow. But you know what I'm saying. That's the attitude God wants us to have. He's like, don't be deceived. Little children, make sure you, no one deceives you. I'm not going to fall for that again. I'm going to believe that verse. I'm going to be set free from that bondage to that belief. And you'll be a lot more happy because of it. You'll have peace. Those things won't matter to you. So we need to stop measuring ourselves by how the world tells us how to measure ourselves. Because that's what we do. And that's one major, major reason we're so miserable, 
so miserable some of the time because we're measuring ourselves by world standards. And that's why we also need a lot less TV and internet in our lives. A lot less. Some of us are insecure because we're listening to the world's false standards all day long. What do you expect? Why do you think you're insecure and miserable? You listen to the radio for five hours and the TV for five hours. You had the TV on in the background you were doing, when you're doing something good just so you could hear the noise and be inculcated with the lies just while you're doing something good over here for God. Let me just take some lies in. Why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we do that to ourselves? We do it to ourselves, aren't we? We know the truth. We know what comes from these sources if we rely on them, if we give them too much of a listen. Deception. And therefore misery. If we stopped listening to the media so much, we'd actually be happy. Crazy. We'd actually be happy. We'd be hanging out in the backyard instead of a slave to a television or something. We'd be enjoying the simple things that God has created for us to have instead of being in bondage and letting that deception make us miserable. So these things on the board, charm and beauty, are a major lie in this world. They're propped up as what's really important. But Holy Scripture says they are deceitful and vain. So the question is, will you trust the Word of God in this area in your life? You young people too. Will you trust the Word of God in this area for your life? Will you believe what the Word of God says instead of what you already believe because you've been trained so well by the media? Are you not ready? Maybe not. But as we started this evening, little children, make sure no one deceives you. Go to James 1.25. James 1.25. This is why James encouraged us as part of true religion to keep ourselves unstained by the world. It's funny how we gloss over that one. I like helping the orphans and widows part, but I don't like to keep myself unstained from the world part. It's too whatever. I'm not ready for that. Well, make sure that's not an excuse in your soul either. James 1.25 The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That's not as easy as it sounds, is it? Especially with all the distractions we have in the media age. So be careful what you watch and be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you accept as truth in your soul. Boldly call out the lies when you see them so that you won't be taken captive by them. In other words, when you see a lie, when you hear something that you know is wrong, call it out right away. Don't keep listening and say, oh, it's not that bad, and then it slowly massages your soul and you're like, eh, it's good. Call it out right away and even flee from it. You know, the Bible says flee immorality. It means don't think about it, just run. Do the same thing when you hear lies and de deception, things that you know are leading, going down the wrong path, teaching you the wrong things. And remember, these lies appear as light. They're not obvious. They're the least obvious. Sometimes from people who act like they're in the light. But deception is in them if they're without the word. Sometimes from people you love. On the board, we saw this on Sunday, 2 Corinthians 11, 14, and 15 in the message. Satan does it all the time. 
dressing up as a beautiful angel of light. So it shouldn't surprise us when his servants masquerade as servants of God. But they're not getting by with anything. They'll pay for it in the end. So remember how these lights, these lies come to us in the form of light. Again, our friendly reminder from the Spirit, only the Word of God is able to shine light on deception. We are not shrewd enough to see it by ourselves. Shrewdness can only come to us by the wisdom of the Word and relying on the Spirit. Relying on the Spirit. You take in the Word, you ask the Spirit to show you. How does this fit? Where, where is this coming from? This thing, is this a lie or is this true? You need to lean on Him so that He brings out the wisdom from the Word that's in your soul and says, here it is. Here's the verse. You know, if you've ever prayed for something and then God gives you a verse, like in the, within a day, and you're like, where'd that come from? Like kind of out of nowhere. That's how he works. If you're humble, if you're listening to the Spirit. And he can make us shrewd. Turn again to Matthew ten sixteen. You know, some of us can be pretty naive or um, unaware or unassuming. And we can be pretty easy targets for deception. But the word can make the most foolish person wise. Matthew ten sixteen. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. On the board, we saw shrewd as serpents in three different translations. Cunning as a snake in the message, wise as serpents in the Amplified, and prudent as serpents in the Darby translation. So we're, we're called to this. The Lord is calling us to do this, right? Just like he's calling us to not be deceived. Jeremiah's friends warned him in Jeremiah 12, 6. Uh, go to Jeremiah 12, 6. <clears throat> I don't have this on the board, so we'll just review a couple of these verses about some very wise men in the Old Testament that God used wonderfully. And he warned them. He even warned them about <laughs> those closest to them being deceivers. Jeremiah 12, 6. For even your brothers and the household of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Even they have cried aloud after you. Do not believe them, although they may say nice things to you. And then we had David. David was also very shrewd and not easily deceived because David relied on the Spirit habitually in his life. He relied on the Word and the Spirit. And because of that, he was not easily deceived. He saw things as they were. So go again to Psalm fifty-five, twelve. And he was even able to recognize certain so-called friends or companions that were, you know, conspiring against him. And as painful as that is, at least you could see it, right? At least you're not living in deception. Uh, Psalm fifty-five, twelve. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. So David was also very shrewd. And God wants us to be shrewd. We just saw the Lord tell us to be shrewd as serpents. So on the board, if you really want to be shrewd, the word be should be in there. If you really want to be shrewd, and be able to recognize deception when it's in front of you, then keep looking intently into the law of liberty, the Word of God. It's pretty simple. We've been over this in the last week or two. It's a really simple formula. God didn't complicate it. He made it really simple on purpose. Again, if you really want to be shrewd and be able to recognize deception when it's in front of you, 
then keep looking intently into the law of liberty, the word of God. We already saw James 1.25, so turn to Hebrews 4.12. God, our Father, doesn't want us to be deceived. He's like a father sending his child out into the world and saying, Son, don't be deceived. Watch out for these things. Be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's power. And if that's true, then the word can help you be shrewd, can it? If the word can do this, even know your very thoughts and motivations and intentions, then the word can help you be shrewd. The question is, is this what we want? Do we want to see the truth or don't we? Only the word gives us the power and the insight when we're ready. And when we do this in humility, God will open our eyes to see all in his perfect timing. Thank God graciously patiently, but on the board, perspective is everything. With proper perspective, we always end up giving thanks to God. This is pleasing to Him. Again, it's real simple, this formula, this way God wants us to live and think and be. Always give thanks to God. And so many things go well in your life. Uh, turn again to First Thessalonians 5.16. I don't think we can read this passage too many times. But this is the perspective. This is what God wants us to live with each day. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, some, some religious people, some um, intellectuals will look down on people that lead a simple life like this, that live a simple life of faith like this. And this is what pleases God. Nothing good about them, and they know it, and they're grateful for whatever they do have. And if we're grateful, we're happy. If we're grateful... And that can be a big if some days. But if we're grateful, we're happy. And that's how God designed life to work. And we should be grateful for His timing and His patience when we aren't ready and His love that motivates it all as He treats us in kindness. So the more we put on the mind of Christ, the Word of God, the more we will be grateful and live in the peace of Christ as God intended. It's not complicated. God says, follow me. Bring me glory. Give me all the glory. Follow me. Read my word. Look intently to learn more about me. And I'll bless you. Obey me and I'll bless you. It doesn't get much simpler. The more we live in that faith of a child and just follow the basic commands the more we are blessed and at peace and just basically waiting for the Lord to come back or waiting to be taken home. But we were living a life of peace that whole time and bringing Him glory the whole time, being doers of the Word. So as we uh, begin to close, or actually we will close with this verse, go to Ephesians 6.10. Ephesians 6.10. We complicate things. We do it to ourselves. We allow the media to twist our minds, to give priority and even praise to the wrong things. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers, 
against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Notice, you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your marvelous instruction tonight from your word and your spirit's motivation and revealing things to us in your timing. Father, we thank you that you're so wise and gentle and patient with us as you reveal things to us as only the love of a father could do. We ask, Father, that you open our eyes to the things we need to know right now. Help us bring the truth out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. By the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen.